Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Dan Alton, a really funny comedian in Louisville, Kentucky. I think I said that right. Dan was a journalism student at Indiana University, but then he moved to Louisville after graduate in 2012 and began doing stand-up. He tours all over the country and hosts the Funny Dinner podcast. Dan wanted to be a sitcom writer, but really likes being on stage. He's got a fantastic mustache and is one of the only full-time comedians I know who is able to take a vacation. That's the big time. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my show dates. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate you taking time. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You look like you've just woken up. No, I, I sort of have. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 my girlfriend's out of town, so I'm watching our dog. Yeah. And uh, our dog wakes up much earlier than I do, so I... Woke up early, walked the dog, and then took a nap, and then just woke up recently. This is extremely relatable today because our dog, my girlfriend, she moved in with a dog uh, about a year ago, and he's about to be 14. So now he's having, like, bladder issues. So when he sleeps with us, he, like, jumps on one of us to wake us up at, like, 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. And for, like, a three-week period, it was only me, and I would wake up. And now I think my body has said, stop. So I don't wake up, and now he started to jump on her, and no, no. Yeah, yeah. and she is pissed. <laughs> like, like every morning is like a little more like like I hate you, Mike. Why do you do this to me? And I'm like, it's 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 your dog, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like you can't get too mad. It's like I, I'd rather I'd rather have him wake me up than piss the bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how do you deal with it? You just say, all right, fuck it, I'm up, and I'll take a nap later. Oh uh, well, normally she takes care of it. It's just. It's just uh, this time now because she's gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys live together? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you enjoy when she's out of town for a little bit? Like, do you, do you feel like you have some freedom? Yeah, it's always nice to get a little mix it up, Bray. That's how I am. I, I had a joke a while ago where I'm like, like my girlfriend, she always thinks I'm cheating on her when she goes away. And I'm like, I, I just want to sleep diagonally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, the novelty of it's always nice. Yeah. What's the one thing you do? When she's out that you can't do while she's home? Uh, nothing really. We, we live in kind of a small house. So I, I like if she's asleep, I don't watch like TV with the sound on. I'll just like use my headphones and my laptop. Oh, no. Shit. That, I, it's pretty much just whatever. Yeah. I get home late and my girlfriend's in bed and I'll like I'll go upstairs and I'll watch whatever show I want. And that we're not watching together. I'm like, all right, well, let me watch Lawn and Organized Crime because she has no interest in that. And yeah, yeah. I don't mind going to bed at four or five in the morning sometimes if I can have, not that I want to get away from her, but it's like, I want some me time. Yeah. So no, that makes sense. you're in Louisville, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh, it's nice. It's a cool city. It's a good place. It's really cheap and centrally located. So I do like, I tour a lot. So it's, it's perfect for that. Cause I can like a- everywhere. The amount of places within like a six hour radius is like crazy. Right. Uh, so I can be in, like Chicago or Atlanta or whatever, like pretty easily. When did you start doing comedy and where? Uh, I started in Louisville in 2012. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you've always been there. And is that like a good breeding ground for stand-up? Uh, no, I sort of moved there because I uh, 
I like I li- I lived in Bloomington, Indiana, which is like a college town. Yeah. But it's like a really like smart, like liberal college town. So in my mind, I was like, well, if I'm going to do stand up and like tour around and stuff, I should move to a place that's like a little bit different, more different than I am so that I can like get a different mentality and not just learn how to talk to other like 2012 hipster kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I tell people here. Like in Binghamton, we're fairly close to Cornell and Ithaca and any of the college students here. It's like, well, you can like Binghamton University has a stand up group and, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like they're fine when we see them. But like the problem is they don't go off campus. It's like you're only yeah. doing stand up for people who are almost exactly like you. So when they do come out to our open mics, they don't do so well because like that's their first introduction to it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but Louisville's like a college town too, right? I mean, so like, is there... Uh, more so just like a, a place that has a college. Okay. Uh, yeah, like the city's much bigger. The college is like not... Uh, like in Bloomington where I live, the college was like half the town. Oh, okay. So like, and yeah, so that's what I think of like with a college town. But no, it's not like too big of a thing. Also, it's uh, University of Louisville, which is the one that's here. It's more of like a, or at least it used to be more of like a commuter type school. And like not a lot of people lived on campus, but then in the past 10 years, they've started like building up the dorms and everything more. So yeah, like, so when I first moved to town, like no one really like lived on campus, I guess. So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. It would be mostly like people transferring in or like living with their parents and then moving out and stuff. I just know it for the athletics. So I don't know anything about like, I don't know anything about the education or the dynamics of the school. No, the athletics is good. Yeah. The athletics is, is the main thing people care about. Forget who it was, but God, it was. It must have been around like fourteen or fifteen, where the basketball player like bent his leg the wrong way. Oh yeah, yeah. And like that was a. I think that ruined our Easter. Oh no. <laughs> I would think like uh, like going from Indiana. First of all, like was Indiana a comedy town back then in 2012? Uh, it was just starting. Like uh, the comedy addicts there, which is like a really yeah. good club, and it was starting. But it was that was before like comedy was like picked up popularity like even even now within the past few years it's like hit like another peak level but that was like because like it didn't like the whole like comedy boom thing yeah started like 2016 i feel like so that was like the comedy attic was a good club and they would get like good headliners but it didn't feel like uh it was the special like unique place necessarily because comedy seemed like a weird like fringe like nerd thing yeah so I didn't like appreciate it as much of the time of like, oh, everywhere is it going to have like this club where like Maria Bamford and whoever's coming through. But also I knew that I would suck when I started. So I didn't want to start there. Oh, right. I don't want to I don't want to like have all my friends from college and everything. And like people I know from like living here. And then they come to see me in the first like six months of doing stand up where I'm just like terrible. So in my mind, I was like, I, I should go away and develop in a vacuum somewhere. That's really smart. I started in Binghamton, my hometown, and, and I had moved away for 10 years and I was, you know, a sports writer. So I worked in newspapers, came back and started doing stand-up. And then the first show I did, my family came out and I didn't even tell them really about it. They found out and they're like, oh, why didn't you tell us? I'm like, uh, because of that reason. Because I was like, yeah, I, exactly. I didn't yeah. want to suck in front of people I know. So they came out and, you know, I'm sure I sucked, especially compared to today. And my parents combined have seen me four times in seven years. So it's like, that's probably part of it. That makes sense. So have you gone back to Bloomington and like done stand up in front of your old friends? Yeah. 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 I've, I've at this point, I've I've been doing it like 11 years, 10 years at this point. So I've done it. Yeah. I've done that. And then I'll be on the road a lot and like 
people will come to see me from college and stuff who like, I don't even really remember, but they're like, Oh, I saw your name on the thing. And I remember you from college and that type of thing. That's yeah. Like, well, people from high school and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's a, I mean, cause you went to Indiana proper, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, so yeah so I grew up, I grew up uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and then moved to Indiana. Right. So, I mean, so you're coming from like two as Cleveland and, and Bloomington. Let's that's two big things. So like I went to a small school. So if somebody came up to me and said, Oh, remember me? I probably would. But yeah. yeah. But going from Indiana, I what was the class size? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the class. It's like the undergrad was like 40,000, I think, yeah. when I was there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mine was 3,400, I think. So it was oh, wow. way different. Yeah, I, was yeah. at, I went to Mansfield, Pennsylvania. So like way oh, different okay. school. Way different school. Oh, man. I've never even heard of Mansfield, Pennsylvania. Where in Pennsylvania is that? It's like central, north central Pennsylvania. It's Oh, okay. Do you know, oh, dang. Yeah. Do you know Little League World Series? I. Uh, but yeah, what's the town that's is that Mansfield? No, it's Williamsport. Oh, okay, but, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, that would be the next biggest town to Mansfield. Oh, okay. So like people know about the Little League World Series, so it's like yeah, yeah. You know, but nobody's ever going to know anything about Mansfield. Every once in a while, like the anniversary of the first night football game from like I think it was eighteen seventy four or something like that. It's like I don't know something around there. We had lights out there. They had lights yeah. out there. And that's what it's known for. Aside from that, got nothing. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. Yeah. We don't have that's like good, a, good, a good, simple, simple place to focus on your studies. Yeah. Something like that. We don't have Bobby Knight's history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did, did you, did you mourn his loss recently? No. Wait, when did he die? He died uh, like a, two a weeks ago? ago. I don't oh, think really? so. Yeah. Pretty oh, recent. I didn't, I didn't realize that now. I didn't even know that that happened. I thought he had died a few years ago for some reason. <laughs> Well, that's because like he stopped. I'm not uh, a big sports guy, oh, okay. but that does seem like a thing I would have should have known. Yeah, oh, he I, died in November. Okay, wow. Was it really that long ago? Yeah, it was November first of, of last year. Oh, but no even shit. so, that yeah, I must have seen that. Then he must have gotten like a bigger news thing. Must have instantly covered it up or something for me. Oh, probably. I think yeah. uh, he had dementia. He was gone for, by the time I was there, but his. I mean, he's, oh yeah, he's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think he went I to like think, he went to Texas Tech. Maybe Does that sound right. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I just remember uh, growing up, all you saw was him throwing chairs and uh, yeah. choke, choking his players. Exactly. I'm not a big sports guy, but I'm big with like that type of stuff. Like, I know the the folklore, the like yeah. Bobby Knight throwing chairs type stuff. What got you started doing stand up? I, I was just, I liked comedy a lot and I, I was a, didn't know what to do after college. And the only thing I like could focus on was comedy stuff. So I was like, oh, I'll just do stand up. Right. Initially, I was like, I'll do writing. Like, I'll, try to write for like a sitcom or something. And then I just liked stand up much more. So I just focused on that. What sitcoms did you like growing up? Uh, I was really into like community and 30 rock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah and then I like, like Seinfeld and stuff and curve and everything. Uh, but those were the two that I was like really into in college where I was like, I think this is like what I want to do. And I was a journalism major. So it's not like I had like an easy path for like a job at that point. Anyways, when'd you graduate? Uh, uh, I graduated 2012. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I graduated. Yeah, Dude, I graduated in 05 with a journalism oh, degree. Okay. And like, oh, yeah. I should have seen the writing on the wall. I didn't. And yeah. I, I got to a newspaper in Maryland. Well, you might know, but the Annapolis Capitol, the one that got, uh, had a mass shooting in there. Oh, whoa. Oh, it was that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it was that newspaper. Yeah. And I, I had left a couple years before that happened. But in 2008, I'm like there and. You know, it was just, it was fun. I mean, we had a good time, but like I was a month into working there. I think, no, 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 I'm sorry. 
I was 11 months in. I was a month away from getting my benefits fully vested. And they brought us all around the newsroom. So it would have been like 2009. And they laid off 30% of the staff. Yeah. And like we, it was the, they, they gave everybody a piece of paper with the names of those who were laid off on it. So wow. theoretically, the last person to get the paper was the last person to find out he or her was fired. Yeah, yeah. It was rough. Everyone else already knew. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So like at yeah. least you had like three more years to like, okay, do I really want to, do I go to print? I don't know if I should take that option. Yeah. Like, so when I was in college, it was just, because it was like 2008, 2012. So it was just horror stories and all yeah. of these like, because I use like a good journalism school. So it's all of these like, respected professors who like thought they knew what was going on and then are all just like we have no idea what to teach you all everything's fucked like we can teach us stuff used to be we have no idea and then i graduated 2012 and then my friends were like a few years behind me were like yeah they instantly the school pivoted and they hired all these online people and like they upped like the what would become like the podcast like audio journalism stuff and it was so funny because it's like oh if i would have just been like two years later they full, I fully would have been prepared for the future, yep. but I was just there in the four years where they were all like, we have no idea what to do. All we can tell you about is how everything's failing. Yeah. We had two journalism professors while I was there. It was yeah. a small school. And then yeah, yeah. both of them had like very little real world experience with writing. You know, they yeah, were yeah. teachers. So the last newspaper anybody worked for probably would have been in like the eighties. Oh, so wow. we, were, we were fucked. And yeah, you had no idea. No, we had, I don't know how much layout you did, but we were taught on PageMaker. So the professor we had knew PageMaker well, but the newspaper used Quark. So we all knew Quark and then had to learn PageMaker. And then we ended up teaching the professor how to use Quark. Yeah. And then, and then that, you know, I had to shed that anyway, because InDesign was what actual newspapers used. So yeah. there's no way, like... There's, we shouldn't have been teaching our professors. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's nuts. That's what uh, I was. I was. I did a lot of like audio journalism stuff. Yeah. And that department like didn't like it was one professor at the time when I was there who was like trying to start it, and it was a similar thing where like half the stuff they'd be like, all right, well, the school wants us to use this program, and our professor's like, I've only ever used these two programs. So if any of you want to learn it and then teach it to the class like <laughs> next week, we let's do that. Did you get like uh, extra credit for it? Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't. I was the person who did, it, but the person who did it was like became, I think, smooth sailing in the rest of the class. Oh, jeez! Uh, but it was the same thing where it was like, uh, and all the connections were like weird because the rest of this, like the the paper people, all have like connections, and then uh, like uh, audio journalism person was like really good friends with the radio lab people at the time, and it was literally she was like, that's the only connection we have to that world because <sighs> it's so new, and we're all stuffy like old journalism shit. Yeah, that sucks. We had yeah, yeah. We had a couple of people come in for like, we had a communication day, I think I forget Tom day and two people from ESPN came in my senior year and they were, you know, pitching us on working there and whatever. And that's where we wanted to work me and my buddy, Chad, and we just wanted to work at ESPN, but yeah, that was yeah. again, 2004, 2005. So was that things, been like the hot time. Well, you know, like, what it, you know, what right it was? before it became like super huge. Uh, no, it would have been around, it was on the Ascension, I think. Oh, so okay. it was, they already had, I know you're not a sports guy, but they already had like all these like debate shows. And that was like the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I would say like 2002 is when that really started. So oh, they're okay. two, three years into that. And 
it's before they completely change their format to like only debate. But yeah, yeah. That's I was all- thinking of the piece with like Sports Center and then Around the Horn or whatever the fuck, the one where it's four people and that's, they're like, that's the show. Weird so, graphic. <laughs> yeah, at like, yeah. we always watch it at five o'clock, it was Around the Horn and 5 30 yeah. was Pardon the Interruption. And, oh, that's the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pardon the Interruption. And so, those are big. So, like, when we were in our TV class or our, well, yeah, we we're TV class and then our TV station. We would try to do those shows and, you know, we're not creative. So we're basically just ripping off, you know, okay, let's take these topics. And we had our own ideas, I guess, but probably in hindsight, they were ideas that we heard from somewhere else, but we would do that stuff. And all we wanted to do was work at ESPN. Now I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I either wanted to work behind the camera as a director or as a writer. So we go there and they're pitching us on this and it's great. But like, again, in hindsight, we only had those two people. That was the only connection we had at the time to the outside world for sports because yeah, yeah. we didn't know anything else. So my professor gave me like almost no help to get like an actual writing job at a newspaper. You know, yeah. we, had, we had no connections there. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And I would think like Indiana, if it was just print, you guys would, would have been set. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was if, if it was 1995, I would have yeah. been sitting pretty. <laughs> When you graduated, what did you think you were going to do? Uh, oh, by that point, my last year, I was already like, well, I'm not, I'm not, it's too late to switch to something else, but I'm probably not going to like do journalism. Yeah. So that's sort of when I was thinking about what to do. And that's when I was like, I'll, I think I'm going to, I think I'm interested in comedy. So also all my journalism shit would just have something to do with comedy anyways. How so? Like it would always just end up having a funny angle or like be written humorously. Like by the end, I was doing mostly like audio stuff, like early podcast, like news story type shit. Yeah. And you know, like the stuff I would cover and all, and like pitch would always be like absurd. Like it would always be good. My professor was always like, "You're really good at this," but it's like the angle you do it from is like you should just do comedy. Like, oh, that's great. Yeah, like to, uh, type it. Like I don't know. Like uh, I can't really remember, but like I like the like the Daily Show type thing where it's like this is news, but this is like there's a humorous take on it. But so they were like, you should just go with the humor. Like the news industry is dead. Just be, go be funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you can speak to this probably, but like. Back then, like, I don't even think it was college for me. Maybe it was. It must have been because I used to watch Jon Stewart there. But it was all that satirical news. That's the only way yeah, yeah. I was able to ingest news. Yeah. Was that kind of similar for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, when I was in high school, Colbert and uh, Jon Stewart, like, that was the back-to-back. Like, that was uh, huge. That was very, I was really into that. And then that, as a turn, made me, like, all political and shit and into the news as like a teenager, because in my mind, I was like, well, that's part of that's comedy. <laughs> right. I love comedy and comedy got me into the news. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny how that works. But like, yeah, it was like a weird full circle back to comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see. I'm older than you. I'm 40. So like, yeah, yeah. I'm 33. So yeah, okay. we got, yeah, we yeah. had like when I was a kid, like I, I, and I never watched them because I was a kid, but you know, you had Dan rather and Ted Koppel and those guys. And like now, those guys for me are Conan O'Brien and Jon Stewart. You yeah, know, yeah. They're talk show hosts. I couldn't, I mean, you know, I just because of the election coverage. Okay. I know Anderson Cooper and, you know, a lot of these other people, but like, I don't go to them for my nightly news. Like I did yeah, Jon yeah. Stewart. And even then it's all, everything's shit. Even like old people who go to the nightly news type thing, it's all shifted. Yeah. And it's, you know, what kills me is like, and maybe it's because, I had that journalism background, but like you turn on CNN and you see it, it's always breaking news. Like no shit. Well, eventually it's not like, it's the same graphic. It's the same story for 34 hours. Like I think it was breaking news on hour one. 
Like eliminate yeah. the graphic, but it's probably just easier to leave the goddamn breaking news up. Exactly. So you started in 2012 doing stand up, and first of all, were your parents cool with it? Uh, yeah, they were more or less cool with it. They, uh, I think they even when I went and started doing journalism, uh, were like, "That's not a particularly lucrative field." <laughs> They're smart. So they were like, "Yeah." So they were annoyed that I like didn't have a like a job. Like I, I would always have jobs. Like I would, I would work in restaurants and shit. Uh, but they were like annoyed at first that I wasn't also pursuing journalism in some way. Yeah. But it wasn't that they were annoyed I was pursuing comedy. They were just like, why aren't you also applying for journalism jobs? But then my logic, which still I stand by, is that like, if you if I have to like pay a certain amount to like live, like, so I have to have a job to get that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also pursuing another thing that isn't paying those bills. It's like, I can't pursue a third thing that isn't paying. Like, that's too much. Like until one of those things, like now that comedy pays my bills, I could apply to journalism jobs and right. get some internship. But at the time when you're like, all right, I work in a restaurant 20 hours a week to pay like my bills and shit. I'm going to use that extra time for comedy. They were like, why aren't you also using that extra time for journalism? But then once comedy started fleshing out, they were like, yeah, you do your thing. Yeah. I think my parents were, they, I think they also just didn't believe in my ability to get a real job. <laughs> like in total yeah maybe i don't know that's what i've wondered in hindsight is they, cause they didn't really put up much of a fight they weren't really like what you're wasting your degree or anything they're kind of just like all right if that's what you're gonna do do you have brothers and sisters yeah and also my brother's a plumber and he like dropped out of college and like he makes and then my sister has like a graduate like a master's degree and shit and my brother makes more than like she does yeah and at this point, I possibly make more than her. I don't really know. Who who knows? Who's to say? But it is that thing where I think they're both older. So my brother's pivoting from college into plumbing and like making a bunch of money and then like owning the company and blah, blah, blah. Like was very much an eye opener for them of being like, oh, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of paths to financial stability and like uh, figuring it out is the thing. I think you're lucky on that part because like my parents are both teachers. So yeah. for for them... They saw the security they had and, you know, they struggled at the start, but like they raised four kids and yeah, are now yeah. they've got pensions that are very good and they were able to network and they're both musicians as well. So like they have different oh, nice. avenues for like more money and they're doing really well. So they saw that and like, okay, well, my oldest sister got her graduate degree in psychology and she does psychology. She works, she makes a lot of money. And then they saw me coming and when I went journalism, they're like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, yeah. they, had, they had no idea what it paid, whatever. But it wasn't yeah. education. It wasn't a psychology degree. Like, it was like, okay, well, can you make money on this? And then when I pivoted to comedy, they're like, why? And I think that was the re- that was because they paid $60,000 to send me to school for a journalism degree. They didn't yeah, want me yeah. to get. And now I'm not going to even use that. So they were nervous. Yeah. So that's the other thing is I'm, I'm good at using different stuff. So I think they were confident that because my senior year, when I said with the journal, I was like, I knew I didn't want to be a journalist, but I was like, whatever I do, learning how the media works and learning how like to tell a story and then learning these different like technical, like video production and audio production and like writing and everything. I was like, whatever I do go into, this seems like a good skill set to take into it. What's so as that? opposed to like, I'm going to have a last second pivot to whatever. Yeah, it's like no, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I am going to use these skills in some way. 
So this hasn't been a waste of four years. No, it's just been a really weird way to learn how to <laughs> write a bio for an event or whatever the fuck. Yeah. What What really <laughs> sucks about, especially that audio stuff, is like you don't need college for it. In oh no, ju- not at journalism all. Yeah, yeah. at all. Journalism, any of it. You don't really. You need like the no. framework for how to do yeah. things, and then you're good. So like you don't need four years for it. But with the audio and the camera stuff, all that changes. So often, like when I was in school, I learned how to use the Avid editing software. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you how to use it anymore. But like now I do editing for video and I use a different program. I would have no idea what to do with that. Uh, same thing with like all the journals. Stuff. I use Microsoft Word for most everything. I mean, I learned yeah. that in college and, and I can make do with it. And you've got a camera that could do a lot of the work anyway. You've got different programs that whatever technology is like it makes the college experience. Not the experience of college, but like the degree almost obsolete anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. To some extent, it's, I feel it's helpful to just learn how to learn. Yeah. Uh, but then it's like, yeah. Other than that, especially now with like online, like you can just find an online tutorial for anything. Yeah. When I work on my car or do something really basic, I go to YouTube. Yeah. I often, I thought I was wondering, like, if I was in college and it was like a thing that I needed to learn and you like go in like to the class or the lecture or whatever, and you're like, this sucks. This teacher sucks. And then you just, I wonder if you can just half the time Google it Probably. and find like a video that's better than what your professor was doing and then get to the point by the end of the semester, you're like, yeah, I don't have to go to class. I just have to like know what they're covering that week and find a better version of someone covering it. And then at that point, it's like, why not just have a curriculum? Yep. Why not? Why even have the college? Why not just have, you want to be a journalist? Here's 50 things you need to learn. Like yep. go find the videos, go find the books, go find the whatever. You download the software, figure it out. Well, I know like I was really a stickler for everything I learned in college journalism wise. And then I got my second job. It was my first full-time writing job. And I'm bringing up the just edited copy of this paper and I made corrections. And I told, I think it was the managing editor at the time, but he was still doing like, like layout and it was a small paper in Lockheed in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, well, you got to, you got this, this widow here. And I circle like, it's just, you know, for everybody else, it's uh, widow is a, a singular word at the it, it's a one word paragraph or a line in a paragraph. And yeah. he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, we don't care about those. I'm like, oh, OK, well, why did I have to learn that in school? Like, yeah, exactly. if, it's, if it's not used, no, no paper I worked at gave a fuck about a widow. None. <laughs> and like, no, we're not going to change the letting to get one word up there. It's not that big a deal. I'm like, oh, OK. But we spent a week editing those out. And it's like, OK, I wasted a whole lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. And then that's the kind of thing that gets people like uninterested in a thing. Yeah. Cause you're like, well, every time I write a thing, I, I get points off for having an extra word and I fuck this class. I'm not yep. going <laughs> to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm with math. I was really good at math as a kid. And then I got bumped when I went to high school, they bumped me like too far ahead in math. So I was like my freshman year, I was in like really high honors, like sophomore math. Yeah. But I didn't know. I never did show my work. So then I would keep having the right answer. And my teacher would be like, you have to show your work. And I was just like, fuck this. Yeah. I'm like failing a class that I have the right answers for. Math is stupid. I'm done with this subject. And it was a thing I was really good at like my whole life. And I was just like 14. I was like, nah, there's one teacher and a rules that I know won't matter going forward. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You're never, ever going to have to show your math work later. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could do math in my head very easily. I forget formula sometimes, but like the addition, subtraction, whatever. I, I can do all that in my head. 
But yeah. the minute I have to, I feel, <laughs> I almost never feel dumber than when I have to write out a long division thing. And I'm like, how does this work again? Because like, oh, it's yeah. something you learned in like second grade. And I'm like, yeah. I don't remember how to do long division. You know, I could do it in my head for sure. It's but fun, like, man. Right That's going to be the next axe throw. Like, you know, there's bars where you go and you like axe throw. Oh, it's yeah. just going to be a bar where you and your friends do um, like you solve for X. <laughs> it's like a room full of chalkboards and, and hey, solve for X. You're going to find the next Will Hunting. Yeah, exactly. That'd be fun. You find out your friends like a savant. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. Now I'm thinking about that. That would be fun. I want to start giving people math problems. Yeah, fuck comedy. Let's go into yeah. that business. That would be cool. You put I will go out on stage and I, I pull out a big equation. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, if anyone gets bored, work on the equation. <laughs> and then like at the end, yeah. That's why I did show at a train museum one time and I gave uh they had like a kids train activity book. Oh yeah. For uh and I asked the guy about it and he's like yeah, this museum, a lot of people bring their kids, and then it's like, we're kind of too serious for kids. Like, it's for, like, adult nerds who are into trains. Oh, He's like, so we had this book just to, like, pacify kids. And then I, I, I would I would give it to audience members who looked uh, bored. I feel like a, a train museum is where you find out you have autism. Exactly, yeah. It was fun. It was <laughs> definitely the people who volunteer, the adults who volunteer to run the train museum definitely had autism. They were... Uh, <laughs> They were both on the rails and the spectrum. <laughs> is that a regular show that happens? Uh, we there's just a don't tell that's in like oh, nice. this town that's like 45 minutes from Louisville, yeah, called the Grange, Kentucky, and they just have this like old train museum that's cool. And it's like it's one of those things where it's, it's right, it's like an old tiny railroad town. So it's the train museum's like in the center of town in a weird way. That's uh, really cool. So yeah, the don't tell are always really like good there, and it's a small town. But yeah, it's just oh. a weird thing where like we'll bring. A lot of a lot of people have randomly done a train museum Kentucky comedy show. <laughs> Are you running the hotels? Uh, a friend and I run it, but we're about to bring in like a few other people to like do more of a committee type thing. Yeah, yeah. I got a buddy out here, Paul Spratt, who uh, runs stuff in Scranton, Wilkesbury. Oh, nice. I feel he, like I've, I've met him or know that he, name. He's been to the Midwest a bunch, so oh, okay. he, I think he recorded, or at least he tried to record. Uh, I think there's an audio problem that happened in. Uh, St. Louis, I believe. So I'm sure he's been to Kentucky, but I know he's done uh, rooms in Ohio and the okay. Midwest. So what you're do probably, you think? You know, Scranton, you ever been to Scranton? Scranton? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with it. Don't you find that Scranton, it doesn't make sense the way it's depicted in the office? It's like completely incorrect. Uh, I guess. My I mean, up, it's so hilly. Yes. Yeah. No. You're I, telling me that, like, that Pam and Jim and Phyllis are, and Stanley are walking up and down hills every day? No, they're not doing that. But what <laughs> always bothers me with the geography there in, in a lot of shows is like, I don't remember Scranton being that close to New York City. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, when he goes to New York and it's like yeah. a little tiny I mean, trip. Michael goes, I mean, they all do at some point. Like, oh, okay, we're just going to spend the, we're going to drive to New York City in the morning. No, you're not. You're not yeah. doing that. And you're not coming back by the end of the workday. Like, <laughs> It's probably a three-hour drive, maybe. Michael's like, a road dog. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder sometimes when, and it happens with just about every TV show, but I wonder when these people sleep. Like, if you watch Law & SVU. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every every crime is discovered, solved, and adjudicated in, like, three weeks. Yeah. And like, that's not how that happens. You know, like, there's delays. You have 
discovery hearings. You, it doesn't have you got jury selections. Every case is going to take six months, maybe a year. You know, I, and then on Curb, you got the flip side on Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Larry, there's a bunch of unaccounted for time. Yep. There's like he's always there's always like days between plot lines where you're like, well, what did he do on those days? Which my yeah. theory is he plays golf every day and they don't be. show it. But every day, if you just think he's always playing golf during the morning. Well, I mean, he's probably otherwise, be- what is he doing? He has too much time. Well, that's probably why he's making all these enemies. That's true. But even <laughs> that, it's like with the amount of free time, he should be making more enemies. That's that's very true. So yeah. there's probably like there's probably like a whole section of people that we don't know about who really hate Larry David. Yeah, exactly. Like if we're to be believed how often his interactions lead to negative vibes and then how much free time he has, it's crazy. Like it's crazy. Cause if an you, episode of that show will take place over like five days. Yeah. But then there's so much time. Like, well, what happened on the afternoon of day two? We have no idea. He's just hanging. He's just watching TV. Is there one show that you like that bothers you to watch it? Uh, no, not really. I, I just, I sort of just rewatch stuff or I like half watch it. Yeah. Okay. Survivor, it bothers me because they can't get off the damn island. <laughs> Team up and go kill Jeff Probst. <laughs> Is he still the host? Machetes. I think I don't know. I think so. <laughs> He's a, that's like an insane job because it's like you think about TV host, like you think like Ryan Seacrest or somebody, and yeah. it's like, well, you just have to like sit there all day and get hair and makeup, and then they're like, go, and then you say a thing. You're like, welcome to Entertainment Tonight. And like you look all perfect, but your whole day is building that one moment. Like the survivor host, he's like in the middle of Malaysia and like there's bugs and shit. And he's like sleeping in a tent. He had to like take a helicopter to and from work <laughs> and it's like raining. And he still has to like, they have to be like, all right, go. And he has to be like, we're here at Sur-. like, right. It's great. It'd be like if Mario Lopez was like being attacked by cheetahs, like right before he does his little like entertainment tonight. Thing. <laughs> hey man, it's that crazy, guy had- a crazy job. Based on high, taught him a lot of things, so he could yeah. probably keep up the cheetahs. You know, he, he was a wrestler. Well, you, based no. on tigers. Okay, so here, so here's the thing that bothers me. I love Saved by the Bell, but it yeah. fucking kills me because, like I said, I was a sports writer and I did a lot of high school sports. They're grades. No, not really. <laughs> but but here's what kills me. Yes, he was a championship wrestler, right? Great. I'll i grant you that. Yeah. He was also on the track team. Great. So that's his spring. The spring is accounted for. Yeah. Oh, and, no. Yeah. Right. Also, football. He's the captain of the football team. There's yeah. his fall, right? How the fuck is he also on the basketball team? Exactly. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. There's no, no way. I have covered so many athletes who have played football and couldn't get to the wrestling season on time because the football team's doing well. That's yeah. fine. Same with wrestling or any basketball to going to baseball. Well, across. Okay. I have never, ever seen an athlete in the winter wrestle and play basketball on their team. It doesn't work. He was that gifted. He's not. <laughs> also, also, there's he's one episode. Good. There's also one episode with basketball, and they never got out of the locker room. Oh, no. Because <laughs> Zach broke his or like fucked up his knee. Tripping over belding. So, like, he oh, ne- I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So, we never, re- oh, maybe they did play. I know there was like a wheelchair basketball, but maybe they did have a shot, but I really don't think so. So, yeah, that's true. I, it bothered the hell out of me. And so, I go back, and that's the show for me where I'm like, I grew up on Save of the Bell. And at the time, like, everybody knew, every adult knew it's not a great show, 
But every kid is like, I want to be Zach Morris. I want to be, I want to be with Kelly Kapowski. So like we grew up idolizing these guys. And then you go back as an adult and you're like, oh my God. Like yeah, yeah, they, they already did that teen line episode two years ago, but they don't remember it. How's that work? No. Remember Belding's brother when they're doing the, the class trip? How can you forget Rod? How can you forget? But do you remember the excuse for why Belding's brother bailed? Yeah, the stewardess. Yeah, he, which is like... <laughs> it's just <laughs> gone. So they made a guy, they had parents sign permission slips. Yep. And like all this shit for a guy who ultimately is like, no, nah, I'm trying to get some tail. Also, he wasn't a teacher, really. No. Like, he, did, he was and a substitute teacher. On the they change it on the fly. Belding's like, we are going to go to Yosemite. Yep. Don't they need to alert all of those kids' parents and get a whole <laughs> new round of permission slips? You think? Yeah. I mean, and also like we only know about Belding or his brother as the lone chaperone. Yeah, you're that's kidding true. me. Yeah, yeah. You're kidding me. You're not going to have another teacher or a parent go. You know, <laughs> it's the principal, and then he's like, "Don't worry, I'm also bringing my horny brother." And also, <laughs> why is the principal ever going? Who's going to help lead the rest of the school? That's true. Yeah. It, it makes no sense. Like uh, <laughs> there's um, that's there's funny a, that Richard Belding was like, I'm going to bail because uh, or no, Richard was the main guy. I can't remember what his brother's name. Rod, Rod Richard, Belding. Rod. Rod's yeah. like, I'm going to bail because I'm going to go hook up with the stewardess. But it's like, did he think he was going to hook up on the class trip? Could be. I'm like, know. why? Like, why wouldn't he be like, no, I'm not going on the class trip. I'm going to go try to get laid. Right. But like, you know what I mean? Because there's zero chance in on the whitewater rafting trip. Well, I don't know. Johnny Dakota thought he had a shot with Kelly. So maybe Rod was playing the long game with her. That's true. That's true. And he didn't do drugs or so we thought. (laughs) Well, there's no hope with dope. And I think we all know that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad you know the show so well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I would watch two episodes every day before school as a child. It's so good. I I mean, it's not, but it. No, just the other day, my girlfriend were talking about national parks, and I was like, I only know you set Yosemite from that episode. Yep. And then I recounted the whole episode. <laughs> my mom and I were at a we were building in one building. What was building? My mom and I were we were at dinner last night. My girlfriend was with us, and my mom mentioned the or my girlfriend brought up. Um, oh, oh, uh, fuck! I forget the play now. But my mom was singing Master of the House and Les Miserables, Les Miserables. And my mom sang Master of the House. And I was like, she's talking to me about how I, I would know the story or whatever. I, go, I only know that song from Seinfeld. That's yeah, it. yeah. Like, I am so, I had a joke one time. It didn't work. But I was like, I am Simpson smart. Like, if yeah. a topic was brought up on The Simpsons, I know about it. But that's all. Like, I can't, I can't do any other thing. If it was mentioned on TV, I probably know about it. Yeah. Otherwise, no, I, didn't learn, I didn't learn in school. We'll watch like old, like who wants to be a millionaire for some yeah. reason, like when you like painting and shit. And I always know it from either comedy or because I've physically been, if it's a like geographical thing, it's because I've physically been there. So whenever it's like a thing, I'm always like, why do you think I know this? And she's like, I don't know, from some dumb comedy show. <laughs> and I'm always like, yeah, <laughs> it was a joke on whatever the fuck. It's a joke on taxi. Of course I know who the senator was in 1978. <laughs> <laughs> I was a classic joke on taxi. <laughs> I need to go back and watch taxi. I, Taxi's I know, great. I know the cast. It's been, it was in my Amazon queue, like the whole series. I was going to buy that in like, I mean, 2007. And yeah. I still haven't watched that. And then you see Danny DeVito on Sunny, and you're like, wait a minute. 
I could have watched great. it. And uh, Sunny is my show right now. It's like the one current comedy that I will I'll watch every single episode, and I just just beautiful comedy. Oh yeah, no, that show's great. No, Taxi's good. And the the first episode because no one knew that Danny DeVito is some little short guy. Yeah, he was in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, but like he didn't. He wasn't like a breakout thing. So he's in Taxi, and the whole episode he's like the boss, and he's up in the little taxi dispatch box up top. Yeah. And you don't see him from the waist down. And he's like being a dick to everybody. And at the very end of the episode, he like comes down and goes like face to face with somebody. And you see like how tiny he is. And it's like a great joke, but it's ruined now because everyone knows Danny DeVito's tiny. But if you like didn't know who Danny DeVito was, that's like such a great joke. <laughs> was it like a, I mean, I was filmed in front of an audience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that just a huge applause oh yeah the crowd goes wild yeah yeah the pop on it is like crazy that's awesome yeah yeah i didn't realize how like i thought like it was movie magic that he was that short so i, cause no. I remember i think it was like <laughs> not, fake, a fake short cat. yeah man what was it it wasn't like i forget it wasn't twins it was the technology got way better and that's how we got <laughs> <Yeah. Peter Baker. laughs> that's true you know it's like early stage technology now imagine next we'll have we'll have an actor who's the, as big as a thumb oh i can't wait i can't wait yeah. for that you can put a whole play in your pocket that ma- the magic school bus is gonna be so good oh yeah the live remake of the magic school bus. <laughs> yeah. that All one right. i only ever saw the one where they go into the kid's body yeah, it was like that's the one I was referencing. Like I, I remember that's the book. The no. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think Miss Frizzle. I'm like, okay, that's that's the one. When did you feel like you were good at stand up? Because you started in 12 and you moved down to Louisville. Like, when did you feel like, okay, this is what I can do for a living? Um, like it sort of started. I mean, I always sort of thought in my mind that I like could do it in the sense of like if I just donate and or not donate, but dedicate like enough of my time and energy, I can figure out how to like be a, a shitty road feature forever. Like, it was a yeah. thing where I was like, I was like, I can at least figure out some way in 10, if my goal was 10 years or whatever, the fuck, I can at least figure out 10 years a way to be doing this. So I was sort of had that like mentality. Like I, I sucked when I started, but even then I was like, if the right people saw me, they'd get it or yep, whatever the yep. fuck. But I don't know about like five years in, it all changed. Cause at the time you're like, Oh, I'm good. And then later you look back and you're like, that's the period I was the worst. Or like, <laughs> yeah. like uh, but I think five years in is when I was like, I'm doing good. And people consistently are like telling me that I'm doing good and acting like, and I, and I, at that point I was running shows too. So I was like, well, I know how it looks. I know how an audience looks when all these varying degrees of people come through. And then I know how it looks when I come through. And it was like, okay, objectively I'm like doing well for whatever. I mean, I don't know. It was a slow, weird process. And then even now I'm like I'm shit now. It's like <laughs> I guess not because I'm um I got I got a house that I live in. <laughs> right. Do you think you got better because you ran shows? Yeah, I think running shows and then um, two things that really helped like force me to get better is running shows definitely helps you. But sometimes people get caught up in running shows and it well it becomes like your identity and it's a lot of work and stuff. But I think it's really important to run shows while simultaneously doing spots that like are the type you would do on your shit, like that the type that your show would be. Yeah. So like I was running shows and then I would go do like the equivalent of my show in other cities. Like I'd go do their thing. And I think that's really important because then it's like, you get to see when people come, like what you do and don't like, like in a headliner coming through, then you know what to do elsewhere. And you also get to see like 
it's a lot of comedy. Everyone just does like tiny sets side by side. It's like, oh, we all we'll all do our 10 minute set side by side. And it's like, well, you did better because you went first and you follow this guy. Yeah. But it's not like you get to see like some unknown headliner doing like 35 to an hour next to another unknown headliner doing 35. Like you don't really get to see like your comparison. And similarly, if you're like featuring, it's not like there's two equal features side by side. So you can go like, here's how I stack up next to someone in the same position. But then running shows gives you a good base of like, I know the amount of laughs diff- these people at these different levels get. I know when we get like a big headliner who comes through, like the laugh level they get, blah, blah, blah. And then you can judge that based on your thing. I like running shows because like I can see people and like, no, okay, well, well, he or she did objectively better than the last yeah, feature yeah. or headliner. It's like, okay, exactly. well, yeah, yeah. and then like, you know, it obviously varies from room to room and like audience to audience. Like, oh, well, you know, he connects with a younger audience than she does. So yeah, yeah. I like that. So when I hear people like, oh yeah, I killed. I'm like, mm, kind of, maybe exactly. I mean, a joker too. It's like, but yeah. I can, I can see all of it. So, and maybe it's not fair, but I'm measuring Dan against Mike. And then yep. when Brian yeah, yeah. comes to town, you know, am I judging him fairly? It's like, maybe not, but like, I don't know, but no, it's that's true. Yeah, exactly. I, but, but that go, goes back to where I can be like, okay, I could be the camera and like, I'm the journalist. I'm just focusing on here. I'm doing objectively. Okay. That's no, no. So I separate myself a little bit from the feeling in the, no, no, here's what, here's what it is. Yeah. It gives you a good data pool. Yeah. Which you can also get, like, I know a lot of comics who start out and I recommend this too. If you, uh, if you have like the time when you start out to go to like the club or whatever in town that you can get it for free and just watch every show. Yeah. And even if it's like a shit club, like when I started the club in town, it was terrible and it's still, a, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it still is really bad. That bad club still exists, but we now also have good clubs. Yeah. But that it's like, it was a terrible, like D level road hack club, but you go there and you just watch every show because like, there's going to be some guest set of some young, hungry traveling guy. That's going to be good or some feature. And you can just learn like so much, even if it's you just learning like what you don't want to do. Cause I think a lot of comics who don't watch a lot of shitty comedy, they don't realize like, like young, cool, like 25 year old kids. They don't realize that like hack jokes have been doing people have been doing hack jokes like forever. Yeah. So you'll see like a young hip guy doing a joke where it's like, Oh man, you could see this exact joke 15 years ago about some like dad with a like world's okayest dad mug that he sells right. after show or like whatever the fuck. I think like a lot of that is like, oh yeah, because when you're starting out, you got to go watch everything. You got to go watch the bad shows, the good shows, so you know what you do and don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. When did you start headlining, like outside uh, of your town? Oh uh, well, kind of early on, because like I said, it was I started a little bit before like the boom. So when I started, it was really novel the idea of someone going town to town who wasn't famous and doing like like closing out a mic, like doing 25 at the end of a mic was a thing that people would be like, what? That's a, which now it's like normal. It's just what you yeah. do at like open mics have like a thing like that. But at the time it was like weird. So it was me and a friend of mine who were both like two years in and he was like a high school dropout, like comedy prodigy kind of guy. Like he would, oh, he was like the club would have like host for everybody. And everybody loved it. Cause he's those like 17 year old. He was like really good at comedy. And like, like Gary Goldman and shit would be like, you need to come move to New York and live on my couch and shit. But then, so that kid, so me, he and I were pals, like I was 22, he was like 19 by then. And then we sort of like would tour together doing like co-headlining shit where we would co-headline the like half hour feature spot on the open mic or like the whatever. And we would just split the time and rotate each night who was doing it. 
with the logic of like, we might not be all the way there yet, but at least one of us on any given night will like crush in a way that will do all the legwork. Yeah. So like that helped a lot because it was just one of us. It wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had the stuff. We weren't like good enough. So that I think like helped. So it was, I kind of started like quote unquote headlining of like in that capacity of just like slowly building time in like 2014. But then I would say like about five years in is when I started regularly doing like, like 35 to 45 minutes and being the like thing where it's like the show, the show's my name. I'm the face on the thing. But then even then, like I said, it was a way smaller pot. <laughs> yeah. Do you think like if you started two years ago, three years ago? Oh, I you know, have no idea. Okay. If I started anything later than like five years after I started, I would have no idea. And even five years after I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know. I just yeah. know that because I had a friend who started five years after me that I would like help. So I could sort of like vicariously see, but no, I have no idea what people should do now. It's so everything I did back then that like worked and made sense. Doesn't like make any sense now. And uh, it's weird. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I started, I started it was so mean. Comedy was so mean. Oh yeah. When did you start? I started in 16 and oh, okay. I wouldn't say it was really me. It was meaner then than it is now for sure. But I wouldn't say it was like, like people are bullying you. I think yeah, even by then it was like the meanness. I feel like the prime meanness was like, or at least my, from when I started 2012 to like 2015 is when enough people were like, whoa, that guy's funny, but he's mean. That's unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas when I started, it would just be like the funniest guy in town is going to publicly shit on the worst guy at the open mic and tell the audience, like, let's go smoke a cigarette. This guy sucks. And then it's like, well, I better get good enough so that that guy doesn't pull the whole open mic outside to go smoke during my set. What's funny is like we in Binghamton, I would say in 2017, we had an open mic that was, it was fun and it was supportive. And we had a guy from like Florida come up and he was going like fifth or sixth and he shit on two or three comedians who were before him and it didn't go well. And we were like, fuck no, that guy. Yeah, that's, so always, like, that's always wild to see that culture. Yeah. So, right. And that's what it is. Like our yeah. culture wasn't that way. So like maybe yeah. it was before, but by the time I was there, and the bar didn't really, you know, the owner wasn't about it anyway. So like, I think yeah. he probably shaped a lot of that culture, but yeah, that didn't fly. Now you could absolutely make fun of people for having a bad joke. We do that now, but it's like, you have to do it out of like respect and love. Yeah, really. like, yeah. like we've been there before. We get it and say it with a smile. This dude, I remember he was just fucking mean and we're like, fuck off. And we, yeah, didn't, even exactly. like, we didn't even like the people he was making fun of. We're like, we don't like yeah. you more. <laughs> He's bombing while roasting. Yeah. Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. No, that, that, that is always wild to see. Cause it is like, like when I started, I was like, like what nicer person. And then now when I'm John comics, like Dan can be mean. And people are like, no, Dan. it's like, <laughs> like it's day and night from when I, like what I remember at the open mics. I get uh, that with like roasting. Like if I have to do a roast, cause I'm a oh, nice, yeah, I don't like to do roast, I, yeah. I'm a nice comedian, but when I roast you, you can't really be nice. And yeah, I mean, yeah. You can, I guess, but you, unless you're Norm McDonald, it's not going to work really well for it. Yeah. But like, you know, it's my, my avenue to actually say, okay, well, this is mean. I can't be, but I surprise people I'm like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I say to you when yeah. <laughs> I'm in the back of the room. Exactly. It's too cutting for them. They don't know. They can't handle the truth. Right. Yeah. The meanness is definitely different. Yeah. It, no, it, I would say another thing that helped me though, we were saying with is doing, cause me and that other dude who I toured with, we were both like broke. 
So we like would do these little runs and stuff and we would like have to make like money. Like we'd have to make like 35 bucks a night or whatever, or like we wouldn't have gas money to get home. Yeah. Like that type of vibe. And that like the margins were so small back then. Cause we were like just doing nothing. We're like, we literally need to make gas money. And that like mentality. And then now where it's like, well, this is my job. I like, I'm going to some small redneck town and I'm getting paid like a cut of the, I have like a tiny guarantee. And then I'm, they're giving me like donation, like a yep. donation. So it's like, okay, well, if I don't crush this town, then I'm not going to like make the money I need to have made it worthwhile me coming here. And then I will need to get a job. And because yeah. I don't have money, I will need to, I will need to ask someone for money to get, I will need to blow a trucker for gas. Money. <laughs> no, you and that like fun. mentality of like, Oh, if I don't like, not only do my job, but if I don't do well, I won't like make enough money for this. And that's a mentality I think a lot of comics don't have now. We're like starting out because it is so friendly and there is more mentality of like people being like, that's okay. You had a rough set. I heard on Mark Norman's podcast, he has rough sets too, blah, blah, blah. Like the audience on like, and it's like, no, you need to learn how to kill in front of every crowd because that's who's paying your bills. And if you don't do that, then what do you do? Also, and that's like a thing that it forces you because you're like, you have all these flashbacks of like, oh man, that one night I almost bombed in Cookville, but then I pulled it out because I needed to make $50 to get home and I did it. Yeah. Also, Mark yeah. Norman's rough sets are not your rough sets. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. His, his, the degree of difficulty is a little different for him. Like he's like, if it's not perfect, it's a rough set. Exactly. Yeah, also, yeah. also they're paying him a shitload of money, whether yeah. he's good or not. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like when everyone's just traveling around and doing like five to 12 minute, like guest sets everywhere. It's like the bar, the, not that the bar is low, but like, it's okay if you fail. Like, it's yeah. okay if you drive three hours and like fuck up your like eight minutes on a show where someone's going to, everyone's going to forget about you anyways. But if like, you're the guy who's like, well, my name's on the fucking piece of paper in the urinal and they're going to know that my car is the one from Kentucky. And if they hate me, they're going to fucking throw a brick through my window and the, if, 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 everyone, if everyone boos me, someone's going to pull out a gun yeah. or the bar owner is going to be like, that fucking sucked. We're not paying you. And granted, this is like the worst case scenarios. This is not like is normal, a normal thing. That, having that mentality in your brain, I think, is a thing that like I think a lot of people are like missing or would just help a lot of people. Yeah, well, I know as far as producing, like I, I host pretty much all my shows and, you know, I feature when I can. Yeah, not yeah. on my shows. I don't have the oh, ego. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah but I. There's something like I can't I can't get myself to not host my show because I, I like yeah. the control. But when I started producing with a budget behind me, like the bar is paying or we've got tickets like and actually people are showing up for once. Like, yeah, yeah, it changed my mentality totally on how I book. Now, if somebody doesn't take the show seriously, I get pissed because yeah, like, yeah. like I don't want you to have a stick up your ass. But like I want you to want to do well for the betterment of the show. Otherwise, I might lose that room. And if I lose exactly. that room, rent is fucking hard because that's my primary job is yeah. producing and doing the comedy. So it's like it's like it it means a little bit more to me than it might you because you have oh, a yeah. really good job that's paying everything, paying for your hobby. Whereas like, no, I'm paying rent on the back of this show. So like, yeah. I need you to promote. I need you to do well so I can come back. And, exactly. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's the difference for me where it's like, no, this is not yeah. like you. It's like, this isn't for, I mean, it's fun, but it's not for fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that mentality, like the, the doing the weird shows where you have to make the money and then the running the shows and getting like that 
understanding that element is so important because it just makes you realize like, yeah, I can't just go. I mean, you could just go out and fart into a microphone for yeah. your whole set, but only if it works. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, you're in big trouble, pal. And I think the like, if it doesn't work, you're in big trouble element is like until you run shows or until you're like the person on the poster, it's really hard to understand like, oh yeah, there's like a, there's some stakes in this. Yeah. Like we're all here to have fun, but there are stakes in this. So do you work best when you have like a, I want to say a deadline, but like, like something against your head, like saying you have to do this, like a gun against you, like make sure you do it. Like, is that how you work? Oh, I think generally I work better if I'm like a little bit scared. Okay. But, but that can, that like often I'm more scared if it's a better show. Right. Cause then it's like, it's like, I look out and I'm like, oh shit, there's a bunch of like people I actually want to like me (laughs) as a bunch of just, as opposed to like a bunch of people on a Tuesday in Iowa who like are going to forget me in a week anyways, even if they buy my shirt. (laughs) Like, but it's like, yeah. So I'll, I'll get equally nervous for like, Oh man, they're all the, the fucking Super Bowls on the TV behind me, and it's it's free dart night, so everyone is dart <laughs> like that. That almost scares me less than someone being like, "All right, it's a nice three hundred person little theater. Everyone bought tickets to see you. Your feature's great. Your head." I'm like, ah, I'm scared now. Are you competitive with the other comedians? Not really. I mean, right. like a little bit. If it's like, uh, no, I mean, sort of. Not really. I, at this point, because also it's like. I used to be more, but then the internet made everything like so arbitrary Yeah, that it's like, it used to be like, okay, well, I just care about being as funny or doing the same types of shows as this other regional guy who I think is like roughly at my same pace. But now it's like any given person you meet could have a like 50 billion Instagram followers and it could be like their second open mic. So it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to have traction enough to be, I don't even know who to be jealous of anymore. <laughs> That's a good feeling. Because <laughs> it's like, I know people, it's like, well, they have a hundred thousand Instagram people and whatever. It's like, yeah, but you also have to like work at a bank to pay your rent. Right. I've got like 3000 Instagram followers, but comedy has been my full-time job for six years. And I was able to go to Costa Rica on vacations. So it's like, I don't know who to be jealous. Man, I'm jealous of you now because I, my girlfriend, I'm glad, like I've got the earphones on. So she can't hear what- in Kentucky. <laughs> Maybe I will. But living got, in Kentucky is also the secret to my financial success. <laughs> if she heard you say that you went to Costa Rica on vacation as a comedian, I, I, I guarantee she's coming down. She just heard me say that, and she's like, "What the <laughs> fuck, dude? You won't go to a concert in Syracuse with me?" <laughs> Google um, Google image Jerry Seinfeld and just pretend you're interviewing Seinfeld until she leaves. <laughs> oh my god, that's. I mean, first of all, congrats on the on having. Uh, I, mean, I don't. I don't know. So that's the secret. You have to move to Kentucky so you can save more money. I got oh, it. Move to Kentucky where everything's a dollar. Where <laughs> prices are going up. It's like a dollar fifty now. But it's oh, still man. yeah. We had uh, our dollar generals, or uh, I'm sorry, our dollar trees are dollar twenty five now. Oh yeah, I th- yeah. I thought people were gonna burn the store down. Yeah, I heard about that, and there's one of those things where like I heard about it, and then I forgot that it was happening and i'm like oh that it wasn't a weird dream that was like no. a real thing yeah no. and i was like i heard somebody like oh well it'll come down i'm like it's not gonna come down yeah <laughs> when, they, no, you when they know you're gonna buy shit for a dollar 25 now that's how capitalism works yeah they don't lower the price <laughs> <laughs> oh we, we felt bad for you we're gonna i mean yeah. at least all i want them to do is change it to the dollar 25 tree dollar 25 tree would be great yeah so what are your what are your goals i mean what what do you want out of comedy uh, I just like I, I just keep on keeping on, baby. No, I uh, I just like doing stand up. 
So as long as I can just keep doing stand-up and I don't have to get a job, that's all I really care about. I know. Um, At what point does it feel like a job for you? Has it yet? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Before COVID, because I, st- I stopped having a job, like a, a, I used to work in restaurants and stuff, and I stopped having a job December of 2017. Yeah. And then it was great for like two years. And then I, I got really like burnt out like two years in, maybe like two and a half. And then right as I got really burnt out, COVID happened. So it was like perfect timing in a way. So I was like, oh, well, um, th- that worked. But no, it's on. So I just like, I just want to continue doing stand up. And then that break was nice. But other than that, it's like, I don't really get burnt out. I like doing it. If I can just keep doing my thing and then slowly progressing, that's great. Because uh, I used to like, the world that I like grew up liking comedy like went away. So it's like, I don't like watch enough stuff now to be like, like when I was a kid, I would watch like Comedy Central Presents or whatever. Yeah. And then you're like, man, someday I want to do the Comedy Central Presents. And then you like, I start doing comedy and then it's like, oh, well, all these people I look up to have Conan sets. And you're like, well, that'd be cool if I could get Conan set. <laughs> Goodbye. But then it's like, well, that show goes away. Everything's changed. So it's like nothing, none of my old like goals still exist out there. So it's like, well, I don't, well, what am I going to want? Like a Quibi show? Like, I don't know. <laughs> what, well, that's gone. Know, like, yeah, I'm going to be like, oh, maybe I'll be a featured TikTok guy. Like, I don't know what. I just want I just want people to keep coming. If I could get like 100 people in every town on any given night, I'd be the happiest boy on the planet. I know. I used to think like, okay, well, I, I need to get a late night set and I need to move to New York City. And I started producing shows at a pretty high volume. And I'm like, I don't even know if I need that. Like if yeah, I yeah. moved to New York City, I'd have to stop doing what I'm doing or at least alter it in a way. Could I be as successful if I'm not around these small towns in New York? Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, and I think part of that is like you, the older you get, the more perspective you have. You're like, no, yeah. I, you know, I like, I like the animals I have. I like the exactly. house I have, yeah, yeah. The, the girlfriend moving. Yeah. Like, do I want to uproot all that for that? If I'm making money doing this here, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Cause happiness is like, the, that's the actual like goal. Yeah. So it's like, it is weird. You look at people who are like, uh, people are like, oh, I want to be like that guy. And then that guy's like miserable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, shouldn't you want to be like the guy who's happy? So it's like from producing shows, like I don't know about because you're closer to New York, so you probably get like bigger people like easier. But yeah, out here it's like there's a lot of like unknown road people who some of them, most of them are terrible. And then some of them are like great. Like this guy, Stuart Huff, is like one of the funniest people like on the planet, like new hour every year, really thoughtful, like incredible. And his crowds come to see him every year. It's a whole new hour. He has like no credits, nothing. And Sam Talent used to be like one of those types of people until he like actually got famous. Yeah. But like that type of thing. And you meet those people and you're like, oh, well, this guy seems happier than the Joe List podcast I listened to where he seems unhappy. Oh, yeah. It's like, why would I just they're both doing comedy. This guy has a job. The other guy has a roommate like or not a job. This guy has a house. The other guy has a roommate. Why wouldn't I want to be the one where the guy's happy and has a house and like a family? Right. Yeah. Is that Mindful Metal Jacket, the Joe List podcast? Oh no! I was just saying, Janelle. I was just saying. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry, sorry. But he's got a he's he, got a podcast. He seems like a guy who was successful, and then maybe was like, bit like not enjoying, it. like regretting it a little bit. Well, I don't know. I also know very little about. Him. I'm mostly just judging his face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking he's a. Uh, because I met him in like 24 or 2016 or something. 20. I don't know. He just seems like a guy that people would be like, oh, I want to have the career you have. Yes. But then he would be a person who'd be like, oh, I wish I had a slightly different career. Oh, for sure. Like, I wish sure. I was bigger or whatever. I wish whatever. Why is so-and-so have a mansion and whatever? Yeah. Like, that would be weird. Because now even successful comedians, it's also, like, arbitrary, like, how big they all get. So it's like, 
you got a peer group of like eight people. And then like in a year's time, two of them could have like a private jet. One of them could be like bankrupt. Like <laughs> you have no, it's like such a crapshoot that that must be crazy for people. Well, you look at Nate Bargatze and like, yeah, yeah. Like he's I mean, a good he, example. He blew up so fast. It seems, it seems. Yeah. And like where he's doing SNL, he's got a great house. I mean, he's in Nashville and people move yeah. to Nashville because of basically him. And it's like, well, that's a guy who was hanging out. He's just friends with Joe list. Exactly. No, Nate Bargatze is an example of a person who like in 2016 or 17 was a thing where it was like, Oh, I would just want to have that guy's career. Yep. Like pre blow up Nate Bargatze where it's just like, Oh, he's just a respected comic making a living. Everybody likes him. It's like, that's what I would want. <laughs> I, I always think it's so basic, but I always think like the measure of success is not having to set an alarm clock for the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like it's Monday right now. And the fact that you're, it's 447 and you're in a fucking bathrobe. Oh, I'm a big bathrobe fan. You've done something right. I mean, people could argue you've done a lot of things wrong, but. Oh, probably both. But but you look so comfortable now and you've done it right. Oh yeah. It's great. It's fun. It's like, that's what I would say is like, just try to, if if you can be happy, just try to maintain the happiness. Else you gotta be smart. You gotta look towards the future and shit and be like, well, what do I have to do? And blah, blah, blah. I think people get too caught up because it also like comedies people who want going to it for like a lot of different reasons. And a lot of it is like ego or like emotional reasons. Yeah. And that it's hard to tell someone who's like, because I know people who like they literally, if you ask them why they got into comedy, they're like, I got into comedy so I can get famous and like rub it in the face of everyone from my small <laughs> town. Good luck. So it's hard to tell that guy like, Hey man, if you can headline a 300 seat club every weekend and like sell those out and have like, people who come see you like you'll be doing fine yeah. it's like hard to tell that guy that when he's like no i need to be uh, i need to be the guy netflix recommends you so that like ladies will know i'm cool <laughs> it's like <laughs> no man just, just just get a life that makes you happy yeah i was gonna say that guy's probably not gonna be happy until he gets that good luck and even though you get it you're apparently the way most of those people talk about it, they aren't happy once they get it either yeah it's like it's always what's next yeah do you have a show that you always think about like, like, do you have a favorite worst show, like a good story from a show that went horribly wrong? Oh, there's this one really fun one in, uh, in, in Cookville, Tennessee, which is like, not, it's not like a place. Cookville's like, it's not a place. Yeah. I've played like some small towns that are like, like legitimately tiny places where just some guys, like I opened a brewery in my small town. Will you come here? Yeah. Uh, but Cookville's like, Cookville is like, it's on maps and shit. And like, people are from there, but it's just, it's just tiny. I think Billy Wayne Davis is from there, actually. But it's like, it's it's pretty small. And then I was doing this gig, and it's like a chaotic, crazy bar thing. But there's something where a bunch of military people, I guess, go there for like a weekend before they ship out. It's like a stopping point in some form. Either there's like a base nearby, or it's like where people go before they go out. But for every reason, there's like a bunch of people about to go into the military, which means it's all just like horny dudes. And then I'm up there as like a weird dude with a mustache in like a small town in like 2017 and I'm doing well. And the better I'm doing, it's like pissing off this one particular military guy. And then he's flirting with the bartender and the bartender is enjoying my set. And every time she laughs, he gets like angry. So it's this weird thing where I'm on stage and I'm like realizing this and I'm like, and I'm staying at a hotel connected to the bar where all these military people are also staying. Okay. So it's like, well, I can't hide. Like they know, I'm in a different state. So my Kentucky license plate, well, they'll know it's me. Like, and then, 
So it's like, it's getting weird. And it's that thing where it's like, all right, well, I don't know if I should just like bomb. So this guy's happy <laughs> or if I should do well, which then is just going to piss him off like more. And then the girl's like trying to calm him down because the girl could, the bartender could tell he's getting upset. Yeah. So the bartender just keeps being like flirting with him with the way of like, let me watch the show and then we'll go, we'll go, I'll go have a, we'll have a smoke break or like whatever. And then at some point I do this joke sometimes where I say that I saw, saw I say that I busted my girlfriend eating a sausage, even though she's a vegetarian, because I took out the trash in our bedroom and I found a sausage casing in the bed. And then I pull <laughs> out a condom. Yeah. And then I, yeah, and then it's a bunch of tags and shit. But I do that and the guy doesn't, he's not, he doesn't see the joke. He just sees me pull out a condom and then he like gets offended for some reason. <laughs> he, he's like, I'm going to, he's like, this has gone too far. <laughs> like it was bizarre. So then he comes on stage and grabs the condom out of my hand. Oh my God. It was, it was insane. And then, and then the bartender, as he's like doing that, he stands there, grabs it out. And the bartender is like, if you touch him, I'm kicking you out. <laughs> And then the guy like gets a like like guilty look, and then he's like, Ugh. and then he just throws the condom on the ground, and then goes back to like the lady, and then I just like finish my five minutes, and then uh, the guy like walks up to pay me, and he just like goes, he's like, hey, you want to go like this other bar around the corner? And I was like, why? And he's like, uh, the bartender just said we should probably leave. Oh my god! And then yeah, so it was great. So I got to watch a horny guy like try to. Like it's because my comedy's weird. So it's like there's no element where I'm coming out on top. Like I never I'm not looking like a cool guy on stage. Like other than the fact that I'm making people laugh, which right. is like inherently a cool thing. But it's not like I'm up there like I'm the hot shot. This guy's lame. So it's like it's not like I'm threat. I have any threatening demeanor. So it's just really funny for a guy to be like, I hate this fucking goofball. <laughs> I'm going to pull his prop condom out of his hand in anger. <laughs> So and the what, only thing that will stop me is the fact that this bartender is basically like, we'll probably have sex, but only if you don't beat him up. <laughs> what did the audience say? The audience was like, they were they were like loving it. And then that guy like freaked him out because they're like, oh, no. And then someone explained to me later the whole military thing. They're like, yeah, these people come here for like, I think they do like boot camp and then they're there for like two days and then they okay. get shipped out or something. Is that like, I don't know about the, how the military works. I don't know. Man, something I, like that where it's like people about to go to the army and it's their last little bit of like freedom. Yeah, it's, it's in Cookville, Tennessee. <laughs> it, probably just a shitload of testosterone. Yeah, yeah. In the wrong oh, spot. But yeah, so it was, that was a wild one because that was one where I'm like, man, I'm on a tightrope. I'm like five years in. I'm not good enough to be on this tightrope. <laughs> My comedy's too weird for this. How was the other bar? The other bar was fun. <laughs> I remember thinking at the other bar being like, how funny would it be if I got my ass kicked like at this bar for some reason? No, but it was fun. And that place, I kept trying to go back. And then that guy, he like, it was one of those things where he was like an idiot. So he's like, I already booked it nine months out with just every local open micer oh, randomly headlining. And then I'm like, all right, well, can I do it in 10 months? And then he's like, sure. And then six months later, he's like, it's closed. Right. <laughs> like, right, That's well, why. Yeah, exactly. And that also is an early one where I was like, all right, well, I didn't get my ass kicked. People liked it. I was able to sell some shirts and CDs and shit. And uh, other than needing to leave the bar so that guy doesn't kill me, they, what, I, I pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to ask. I'll let you go soon. But like, I have to ask the mustache. Oh, it's glorious. I just don't like shaving. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So that's it. You just don't like shaving? Yeah, I don't like shaving. And then like my dad has a mustache. I don't think this is anything to do with it. But my dad, I've never seen my dad without a mustache. So I think hereditarily, maybe my face, I just think it looks normal with a mustache. Okay. 
But I don't know because I had I had like beard. I had a big old beard. At one point, I had a beard for either six months or nine months that I didn't cut. So it was like a huge bushy ass thing. So I've had like different shit. But I just like having a mustache. I don't like shaving. I wonder. Say, that's why I don't like the pedophile connotation. Because <laughs> pe- pedophiles are mustaches are for lazy people. Pedophiles are go getters. <laughs> also, your your mustache doesn't scream pedophile. It's too bushy for that. Yeah, it's like I look like I came out of a time machine. Yes. I look like I'm looking for work in 1890s New York. <laughs> I think you're going to get it. Hopefully. Uh, if well, not, my family back in Poland will die. <laughs> I want <laughs> I wonder like if you if you have to keep it for comedy. Like if well, like no, when I first started, sometimes I wouldn't have a like I would have a beard or mustache or whatever. Yeah. And then a few people who had seen me with the mustache and then later saw me without it were always like, You gotta get that mustache back. So I remember the time. Yeah, I remember the time one of them was like a regional headliner person that I looked up to. And I remember thinking like, so-and-so liked my mustache. And then everyone in comedy was so mean that like everyone would just be like, you got to shave that mustache. But it's like, you'd say it's anybody. Like if someone had any type of anything, you'd be like, you got to get rid of that. Yeah. So then I think it was a combination of like everyone, all, all of my peers are just negative to everything. <laughs> so that's not a data set I should look at. But this one <laughs> older guy saying that he likes my mustache, I guess I should do it. But also just truly, I like don't like even over COVID, I shaved it at one point just to see what it looked like. And then uh, it, I just naturally like grew it back without even like intending to. Oh, wow. What's your girlfriend yeah. think of it? She likes it. She's cool with it. I think she's other than like over COVID, she's like only known me with it. How long have you guys been together? You bad taste though. At one point I, I grew like a goatee. Like as a goo over COVID, I was doing dumb hair and she's like, Oh, I like that goatee. She also liked, I did like mutton chops into the mustache. Oh my God. And so she has bad taste. She's not one to, to know. <laughs> You're like absolutely from the 1800s. I tried to do a thing where I did one mutton chop into the mustache and then I didn't have it on the other side. And I was like, I wonder if I could pull off asymmetrical facial hair. Did she <laughs> like that? She was like, she thought that was like, whatever. Like she didn't really kiss. She was like, that's weird. But I did like three shows with it, like right as COVID was, or no, they were outdoor shows, like in between. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if it was like too confusing for the audience or if, if they liked it. Cause I think it was that thing where you come on stage and then there's like the first five minutes, all of the audience is slowly like, wait, what? Why does he have it on one side? What? And it's like, and it, it derailed everything. Like, Dan, do you forget to do something? Yeah. I would make a joke where I was like, uh, I was like, my mustache is too heavy. So I had to grow this part to hold it up. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. I just I had to I had to ask the question because I see somebody with just this beautiful mustache. And I think whenever I have a beard, like if I shave it, I think, okay, well, I've only known these venue owners or these comedians oh, yeah. with a beard. So are they gonna look at me like, oh, oh, like I, I trimmed a couple of days ago. I'm like, oh, okay, it, are they gonna think something's different? Is it gonna be too awkward? And no, it, it's in my head. But if I had a mustache like yours. Yeah, I would think there's some branding opportunity that you're Oh, yeah, if doing. I definitely shaved it, people would be confused. I used to wear this green jacket a lot on stage. And, and I, like, sometimes I'll show up to shows and be like, where's your jacket? And I'm like, I, it, it's summertime. Like, well, I don't know. Like, why would I have a jacket on? <laughs> like, that's your thing, man, your green jacket. Do you still think about writing anymore or is it just stand-up? I do sometimes think about it, but I, uh, I just, like, stand-up and it, like, keeps my plate full enough with everything. But I, I would, I'm going to try to do more like sketch type things. I always really like the idea of doing like a, like a one-off. 
I guess like a one-off sitcom thing. Yeah. But just like one-offs. Like I've never understood why people don't just do like, hey, here's a like 40 minute thing that's basically just like my Seinfeld, whatever the fuck. Or like, or like I don't know. I think I, I'm doing a bad job of describing it. But I, I'm interested. I'm interested in that. I wonder if it's like a like the first episode of Curb, where it's yeah, like yeah, it was exactly. like, like that type of thing, where you're like, yeah. here's a, a thing. It doesn't have to be connected to a larger thing. It stands alone on its own. It's not a movie. <laughs> it's just a little thing. I don't know. You, you see every like limited series on Netflix. Like yeah. everything's at least three or four episodes. That's exactly. Yeah. My friend and I at one point we were like co- trying to come up with like what would we do if we like did a sitcom. And at the time we both worked at weird like Asian restaurants. And then his girlfriend was a like hand job masseuse person, like a masseuse <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, and then we were like, oh, that'd be perfect. It was just, if it was us both doing, st- we're both comedians. Your girlfriend's the hand job person. I work at this crazy Chinese restaurant. And then we like wrote out like all these plot lines. And we're like, we like talked to our friend who knows like how the lengths of ideas and shit. And then he's like, yeah, this would be like 45 minutes. He's like, would this be like a series? And my friend and I were both like, no, we just want to do this. Just these jokes. So you want to make and a short like, film. Exactly. Like, you want to make a movie? We're like, no, we want to make like, just these jokes. Yeah. We don't want to put it in any more work. You understand? Yeah, we don't want. No, we don't have big dreams for it. We just want <laughs> like a 35 minute thing where it's two roommates and they're telling like whatever. Like, you we know, see the hibachi place. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, there's Quibi. Why don't you go there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get on Quibi. <laughs> That's really cool, man. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. And no, thanks I, for having me. This is yeah, fun. of course. Yeah, man. Uh, do you have anything coming up? Anything you want to promote? Social uh, media. I wrote a bunch. But yeah, if you just go to Dan Alton on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, I'll have dates and videos or whatever. I've got a podcast called Funny Dinner, but it's just goofing around and stuff. Oh yeah, nobody likes that. No, nobody likes goofing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know one guy. One guy in Cookville does not like goofing. That guy has probably. He's probably gone overseas in the military and defected. And he's probably, he's probably an enemy of the state. <laughs> we should hope. Yeah, we just let's only hope. But at least he got laid that night, theoretically. That's true. I wonder if he did. That would be a wild twist to someday meet that bartender. And she's like, I just want you to know when he and I got into the alleyway, I kicked him in the balls. <laughs> I'd be like, what? I did that for you, man. He's like, I did it for you. And I thought you were coming back 10 months from now and you never did. <laughs> We never showed up <laughs> to the Cookville Motel slash dive bar that sometimes has a comedy show. <laughs> Man, everybody Man, wants I that gig. Shout out to Cookville Donuts. If you are ever in Cookville, Tennessee, there's two donut places that are really, if you Google donuts in Cookville, there's two that'll pop up. Both have five stars, both great. So <laughs> they're known for. Yeah. It's one of those weird things where like in the fifties, two people open donut shops and then they both needed to be the best because it's a small town. Yeah. And then they, it's like steel sharpened steel. It's just like two titans of dough. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. Like you just, somebody's like, oh, you're moving to Tennessee? Yeah. Why? Donuts. I love the donuts. <laughs> yeah. Why, yeah. why else? No, sometimes I'm on the road. If it like, if I go through that town, I'll stop and get donuts. And people are always like, why'd you bring us donuts from this random small town? And then they <laughs> try the donuts and they're like, these are great. <laughs> yeah, man. You got, you got to go back. Yeah. 
Well, again, man, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for and having me, man. Yeah, man, best of luck, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, have a good one. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in